0: Okay, so uh, I guess I have to sort of recap the big picture here about um, the global totalitarian corporatist state and corporativism itself as an ideology and government form. Um, what I've noticed is that um, <clears throat> obviously people, you know, I, I have not properly expressed, at least in the podcasts, what it is that I think is actually happening. Um, when I was describing my assessment back in April of last year and coming to the conclusion that mass recall ultimately was the only thing that would actually get us out of this because nothing else will work and all the documentation that I found indicates that they've anticipated just about everything except mass recall um, and decentralization from the town up, the bottom-up solution is the only thing that will work. Now, <clears throat> but I didn't really explain in, in any of these episodes of the podcast so far <clears throat> why it is that I came to that conclusion, um, and so I'll try to do that now. Um, one of the things that's that's been happening is I, I just recently got into Bitcoin um, and i was trying to explain to some people about mass recall and they said bitcoin will solve the problem and i said well but well bitcoin's great I, I love love bitcoin that's that's great but how does i don't understand why you think that that would stop them from murdering us and they said what do you mean murdering us and i, and I realized that people just don't understand what it is i'm saying um, so basically this is this is I believe this. This was the my line of reasoning when I first started to assess this. It is essentially that, as as a you know, a, a novice economist myself, I, I like to think of myself as reasonably well educated, although I wouldn't call myself an economist. Um, but one of the things that is a central conclusion, certainly for Austrian economists, maybe we should make that distinction here is that any kind of planned economy, when you try to organize society according to predetermined requirements and you want to use conscious effort to design society in a way that is pleasing to you or achieves some goal that you are after, the planners are after, it always collapses. And the reason that this is the case is because the extended order, as Hayek would call it, is works because you have adaptations. People who try to do one thing and they fail to do it um, will stop trying to do it if there's somebody better at it. So if somebody discovers a way to do a thing and they do it really well and they're able to do it at a cost that just beats everybody else's ability to do it, then they become you know, for that period of time anyway, as long as they can keep it up, which is not usually forever, um, the leading provider of that market, service, or product. Um, And anyone who who isn't able to compete with that chooses some other thing to do, and that's good, because it means you don't have waste of people trying to, to replicate each other's efforts, and so you're forced to try to do something else because nobody will give you any money because there's already somebody who does it at a price that's affordable. So this is why the extended order is a good thing and specialization becomes a good thing because you just aren't real, you just can't get away with doing something poorly because there's always somebody who's willing to do it better or cheaper or both, uh, and they are different factors. But um, for some people, cheap is, is is more important than better, for other people better is more important than cheap. So you do have elements, you know, you, you can have different specialties even within the same provision of a service or product. There's a high-end version and a low-end version. <clears throat> but if you you have to pick one, and you can just know, it's not that everybody's going to offer the same low-end service or high-end service, This there's only going to be one person who stands out based on merit to provide that product or service at at whatever their they've achieved, usually through efficiency and skill and a whole bunch of other factors, you know, all the way to, you know, having just no interest in making money. There's, there's some people who just provide services for nearly free because they want to. And therefore, as long as they continue to do it, there's no point in having anybody else compete with them. Um, so the extended order is a good thing. Now... When you try to plan an economy, and you come in and you have somebody say, "Well, you should make this, and you should make that, and you should make that," um, you don't know whether there's going to be a flood or a drought, or, or you know, a car crash, or a truck goes over a bridge. I mean, you, you can have losses of, of supply. So if you if you know you need, you know, fifty barrels of rice for this town, but twenty-five of the barrels goes over the bridge and into the water, and it's lost. Um, that half that town would starve if there wasn't a market for rice. If, if you only made 50 barrels of rice and there was only enough rice to supply then that's the end of it. You, you, wait, you can't wait until next year for more rice. So those people just wouldn't have rice. And so this is why planned economies fail. Um, they cannot adapt. And there's just not enough time for anyone to adapt. And so while there is some waste In in a free market. In capitalism there's there's the possibility of people having products or service that goes wasted. Nobody buys it. It's just, you have to throw it out. It goes bad, whatever. And you'll hear people talking about how that's a terrible thing and that's why socialism and planned economies are better because they don't allow for situations where you might have something go to waste that way. But actually that is part of capitalism's backup system is that there's always somebody waiting in the wings to to take over and, and, and it's and it costs the people waiting to to step in if they if there's no collapse in the market they're waiting or trying to inject their own product or service into, if there's no collapse of the availability, they might waste their time and effort or their products and, and materials um, trying to break into that market. Um, but it only costs them does not cost society that they have failed to provide this market or service, this product or service. And that's why capitalism is good, because all of the costs to society absorb, are absorbed by individuals who make, we'll call it bad decisions, but these are just attempts. These are failed attempts, and they the people learn from their failed attempts, and they get better at it, and and so, so, no, so yes, it costs them, but it also is a learning process, so they, they actually benefit from the process themselves as well to some extent. But in a capitalism, in a free market, there's, there is enough of everything that you have competition, and if anybody actually fails to do something for any reason, there's almost always somebody waiting in the wings to pick up the slack. Um, and while that translates to some loss of actual product in the big picture if you're just counting beans, um, in terms of society, it costs society nothing. It's just the person who was trying to to make the thing is unable to and they lose some money. Society doesn't have to pay them back for them making a bad decision about, you know, trying to provide a service and failing. Uh, Whereas in a planned economy, where everything is actually itemized down and you're in the effort of trying to avoid all waste, you actually end up creating a situation that is completely fault intolerant. So if anything goes wrong anywhere, or there's any adaptation or change in the the needs and the demands, a planned economy, by definition, cannot handle it. Um, So you will always have failures, small failures. And what happens is that these small failures end up contributing to other things. So if, if, you know, I'm trying to think of a really good example here, to to, to continue with the rice thing, if if all of a sudden you've lost half your rice, well, there's no more Rice Krispies. And if there's no more Rice Krispies, then there's no, maybe the general, you know, there's no General Mills in a communism or planned economy, but then the, then the, the plans for making all the things that rice goes into are all of a sudden completely thrown out of whack. And so very, very small changes, very, very small, unanticipated restrictions and failures can cause these catastrophic effects when they play out throughout the whole system. And this is why free markets and capitalism are far more adaptable and and better. And there's a whole bunch of other reasons about innovation and, and the reason why. Everybody trying to do their own thing is a much better, more efficient way of, of using human intuition and human expertise than to try to plan it all. Um, but the planned economies fail. They always fail and that's why free markets are better. Um, now what, what's happening now and what bothered me so much in April of last year when I assessed this and I determined that we were being surreptitiously turned into a command economy, which is a version of planned economy, um, and I realized that these people are not stupid. they We, we know Even the communists know planned economies don't work um, because we've proven it. It's just been proven. There's no question about it. Planned economy does not work, and it always results in collapses, which usually means catastrophic starvation and failure and collapse of society. So when I saw them doing this intentionally, knowing that they must know that these are the outcomes for these kinds of attempts, I reasoned that that was, in fact, the goal. That the reason that they were trying to turn the world into a command economy is because they wanted to induce starvation and collapse. This is important. Apparently, I thought that this was clear before when I was... So I've been sort of talking about this with the assumption that everybody understood that 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 was my line of reasoning to get to the point where we have to do mass recall. Because the leaders of the world, the people in control of what I call the global totalitarian corporatist state, are doing everything that they're doing, knowing that it will cause societal collapse, starvation, and death. All on top of that, they are going out of their way to induce death through forcing people to take this gene therapy, which will either cause them directly to die, or get, cause them to get cancer, or cause them to have autoimmune issues, or you know the 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 ADE that's that's coming around the corner in the next year or two. I mean, these are all aspects of the same ultimate goal that every single government policy has been has has had as their object, which is the death of most humans, either through you know sickness or starvation or poverty. Every single government policy is designed to destroy human civilization and to kill human beings and to do everything that is possible to do from every possible angle to come as close to causing human extinction as possible. And this is why I've been talking about the the reasons why somebody might want that, and and that's why the only thing that really makes sense is Malthusian anti-humanism, and the support for that posit is everywhere. And the fact that that cybernetic social engineering is being used to achieve the goals of, of anti-humanism in the Malthusian sense is, is obvious to me. I mean, I've been pointing out historically how cybernetics is directly connected to Malthusian anti-humanism, the goals of it, the presumptions of it, and all of the activity that, that everybody is doing, all the governments are doing, are contributing to the ends of it. So for, no matter how you slice it, it's clear that the ideology of academia and government and business has been to kill humans, and, and, the, and the reason is because humans are bad, period. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why different people think humans are bad, you know, whether it's climate change or disruption to ecosystems or, or just not liking people, which is what seems to be the most common thing. That's the one that pervades everybody because you you talk to the average person, and and they'll usually, if they're not paying attention to the kinds of things I'm paying attention to, they're more likely than not to say people suck, um, because they've been trained not just trained but they've been programmed to believe that people are bad. Just it's as simple as that, um, and so that's why when you ask a child as if suggested several times in these podcasts. If you ask the average government-educated child whether it would be a good thing if humanity went extinct, they won't just say no. They certainly won't say, no, that would be terrible. What are you talking about, kill everybody? They'll say, well, you know, there's probably some some good reasons why killing everybody wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, you know, it would be, be better for the frogs or whatever they've been programmed to say, right? Um, you might be able to get them to to ultimately conclude that well no, I don't mean everybody, I mean not you, not me. You know, they, you, you can probably get them to say that, but it'll actually you'll have to twist their arm to get them to say that. Because they've also been programmed to be selfless. And so whenever these people talk about this shit, they're always they always got it in the back of their mind that they that they, they need to be volunteers for this sort of thing. And to some extent this is a real Thing and this is I've been saying that everyone has this idea that the rich people, the elitists, must have some backup plan and they all have you know some kind of medication that's going to protect them from the thing and you know the 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 gene therapy and that this is to kill everybody but they're going to make it through and I'm trying to say that this ideology of Malthusian anti-humanism is about depopulating the planet and they have been programmed as much as anybody else because they're believers in this that they need to be selfless leaders and maybe even demonstrate a willingness to do it. So that's why they're willing to kill themselves and their children and their families, to demonstrate that they believe in the idea of killing humanity. And they're willing to step up and do it on their own, at least at some ideological level. I guess personally you might probably would find them to be um, cowards on that. But <clears throat> the ideology demands that they believe it. So they're not going to oppose any policy that calls for it. So that's why. Um, it's not that they have a backup plan and they all expect to be saved by some magic drug that will prevent them from personally dying. It's that they're succeeding in the plan of killing most people. Um, so so with this Bitcoin thing, when I talk to people and they say, Well, you know, Bitcoin is going to save the world because it will stop the bad guys from having real money. And I, and I understand that, that that's a good idea, um, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but these people don't really care about money, they care about killing humanity. Um, so I'm not sure why, you know, the people who are currently find it perfectly satisfactory to destroy trillions of dollars in e- economic wealth for the sake of murdering potentially billions of people why why they would be concerned at all with whether they can get paid for it? I mean, this is not about money like like even the people who who put forward the handful of people who are making a bunch of money off of this there so so it just doesn't make sense that that if there was an organized scheme only to make money, why. Why they were, you know, why would everybody agree to losing trillions of dollars in economic activity and wealth, so that a ha- small handful of people can make what amounts to a few billion dollars? I mean, this is this makes no sense at all. There is no reason why anybody would do it except the ideological reasons that I'm talking about: the Malthusianism, the anti-humanism, and the fact that everybody's been programmed with cybernetic social engineering to believe that humanity is bad and must be culled. Um, To the point of some people believing that it should just simply go extinct. Or at least not be particularly worried about levels of of extermination that reach close to extinction. Um, We know that there are definitely some secret societies that want it to get down to 500 million or less. And that's, you know, whatever it is, 90 3%, 99%, 95% of the population to die. I mean, that's pretty close to human extinction as far as I'm concerned. So so saying that there are people that want human extinction doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to me. Um, They've said out loud they want 15% reduction in the human population through the use of vaccines. I mean, how much more evidence do you really need? So I love Bitcoin, but... The idea that it's going to stop that—I don't, I don't. It just doesn't add up to me. I don't know why. I think that's, and I, I have to assume it's just because those people who say that haven't been paying attention to the things I've been paying attention to, and they're just thinking this is all a, a big economic thing, that this has nothing to do with any ideology about eradicating humanity. And, but once, once you do realize that that's the object of all of this there can be only one solution, and that's mass recall. Because anything else is asking people who exist in power, who've, who've been subverted already, all bureaucracies at all levels are already subverted by the GTCS. The, any other solution means trying to ask one of those people to do the right thing and then to expect their efforts in that context to be successful, which is just impossible. So. Mass recall is the only way.